Welcome to Uncommon Core, where we explore the big ideas in crypto from first principles. Today, Sue and I discuss the rise of Wall Street bets and financial populism in general. As one of the most experienced market participants I know, Sue has a unique perspective on the story behind the GameStop short squeeze. We explore why he thinks it is going to end in tears for small investors, which invisible rules of the traditional financial system have been laid bare for everyone to see, and why all of this massively validates crypto and DeFi going forward. Enjoy. Okay, so, so Wall Street Bets. So Wall Street Bets, it was catapulted to mainstream popularity. Everyone is talking about it now. Even my parents, everyone I know is talking about it. Arguably, it all started with the GameStop short squeeze. That's how it kind of permeated the, the media initially. And then it kind of morphed into a almost like a cultural slash financial counter movement. So what happened and why do you think it went viral? Well, I think Wall Street Bets, it's been around a while, right? It's a, basically a subreddit that people discuss trading ideas on mainly U.S. equities, um, single stock names. And I think the idea is that on Reddit itself, it's very user-driven. So people just post ideas, they're pseudonymous, uh, and it's kind of community participation, not unlike crypto, right? There's no coin for Wall Street bets, but there's this idea that you're contributing to a sort of an open source uh, well of ideas. And I do think that uh, the big explosion of interest in, in that has been due to their main success, which is the GameStop squeeze. And that was a squeeze that one of the users there had been planning for quite some time. Michael Burry was in that as well. And where they basically realized that there are some hedge funds that had been running long short equities books where the short legs uh, had gotten very big in terms of percentage of overall uh, shares outstanding. So I think uh, the success of that squeeze has been really fascinating for people and made people realize that they can source very good trading ideas and do very make a lot of money from just being on Reddit uh, and just being part of that community. Yeah, so I, I agree. It's extremely similar to crypto Twitter in that sense. I had not been on Wall Street bets before last week, but when I joined, I a dream similarity to crypto Twitter immediately struck me as mm -hmm. uh, as notable. For um, sure. But talking about like how they identified this this trading idea. So why GameStop? I mean, you mentioned that there was maybe above a hundred percent outstanding float um, was short. Did they like analyze a lot of companies to see which one w would lend itself for a short squeeze? Yeah, I think I think M Michael Burry had an interesting tweet a few days ago where he said there can only ever be one GameStop uh, because it was the perfect squeeze. And I think he's I think he's right for a few reasons. I think one is that the element of surprise is important. So the idea is that people are buying a lot of calls, right? They're buying a lot of calls from dealers, and they're also um, you know they're they're sort of attacking before it has ever happened to any fund. So you know the the way the shares get moved around as well to get recalled, so so that people who are short have to buy back. I think there's just just that overall confluence, and I think the the main thing with long short equities and and why it's such a 
dangerous game at times is that people end up having the same positions because they all want to beat each other uh, or at least track each other. So, so there's a mimetic quality to it. So kind of after COVID, a lot of long short funds jumped into the thesis that, you know, the brick and mortar shops would do poorly, like AMC, which is a cinema company, uh, run, mm-hmm. runs theaters, you know, GameStop, where you buy video games at a store. But uh, yeah, there's basically these two kind of the big ones that people just said, you know what, these companies are going to do really poorly during COVID. And so they're easy shorts, consensus shorts. And so they, they become very crowded positions. And on the long side, you know, they buy the, the internet stocks. So, so, so that's kind of why also we saw that internet stocks kind of took a tumble while GameStop was going up because people were having to unwind their longs in order to have more collateral for their shorts. So, so anyway, I think GameStop, without getting into too much detail, they, they, they basically executed it very well, uh, the timing of it, so that the shorts, they couldn't do anything at that time. I think also that the whole narrative around it brought in a lot of fresh money to buy it and pump it up, which made it obviously even more painful for the shorts uh, for a while. So Yeah, and um, I don't know if you know about this, but GameStop, it already has a huge mimetic quality to it. I remember for years there being this meme where people called GameStop on the phone, their local GameStop, and asked if they had a game in store called Battletoads. And um, Mm. this game had been out of print for like a decade or something. And this was a very popular internet meme, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought about this until now, but yeah. Um, So everyone, like in kind of the 4chan and Reddit community was already, like GameStop was a name to them, even if they lived outside the US like I do. Like GameStop doesn't exist here, but even I knew about GameStop and know that it's something that like a lot of people have a lot of positive and nostalgic feelings about, right? Where you hang out at at a physical store and um, uh, play the latest games and so on, you know? Yeah. Um, So a lot of people try it. try to connect these events with like crypto and Bitcoin or in other words, like Bitcoin and crypto people, they feel very drawn to what is happening here. Yeah. Why do you think that is? What is the connection between the two? Well, I think both come from a, from a deep sense of financial populism, a sense that the little guy has a very hard time making money in traditional finance, as it were, and they see this as a chance for them to make outsized gains. And also for them to make gains while the big guys suffer, right? More, more importantly, so kind of a short squeeze mentality where the hedge fund guys are finally the ones who lose money. And um, so I think with crypto, you know, it's less that the outside world is losing money, but rather that it's, you know, it's kind of like us versus them mentality where um, the individual investors, the individuals that are on these internet communities are the are the victors um, and mm-hmm. the institutions uh, you know the guys with the nice um, with the nice suits and ties are the ones who have to scramble to figure out what's going on so I think there are those similarities there but um, you know I also think there there's very important differences and and I I made a few tweets when the game stuff was coming out kind of warning people that you know you don't really actually want to take on citadel in traditional markets you don't really actually want to do these kind of things because because like michael burry said gamestop is a one-off uh it took a uh, years of research and you know months of preparation for them to pull that off and mm-hmm. even now gamestop's starting to sell off and there's these games that citadel can play uh they are the market maker for it they are 
have exemptions to giving them a seven-day window. They can still make it short. They can move positions around from entity to entity, claim they covered shorts. They can basically play a, a a long trench warfare to win, right? And you know, I I I kind of see it as you know the whole idea of a protest buy, where people protest the system and then buy something. I think that mm-hmm. that's what really fascinates the crypto OGs and the and the crypto thought leaders who say, you know what, this is actually what Bitcoin is all about as well, right? Bitcoin is also a protest mm-hmm. buy. You're you're protesting the fiat system, and therefore, um, by doing so, not only do you do well, but you also draw attention to it, and you also uh, help engender the success of a community. So my fear with the GameStop stuff is that they ultimately will lose that fight because that fight is still within the traditional finance system itself, where your, your opponents do have all the regulators on their side. They do have all the institutions on their side who actually hold your shares, right? Who actually custody everything, who actually can lobby for rule changes. So that's, I think, what scares me about you know, the, the idea of another GameStop, because next time they will be prepared and, and, they, will, and they will fight back very well, in my opinion. Uh, so I... I see that that energy being much better spent in crypto than in mm-hmm. than in the uh, stock market. Oh, so much interesting stuff to unpack there. So let's talk about financial populism just really briefly. So would you say that, like my take on it would be the word has become so gentrified. I don't know if that's even the right word here. And the, like the, 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 the options of people are so restricted, especially now with COVID where like other forms of protest might not be viable. So has kind of what you buy, like what you consume and what you buy, has that become the last battle line in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's always been a battle line in some sense, but you're right that because people can't go outside, consumption has gone down and internet use gone up and speculation has also gone up. I think that the mimetic nature of money and the mimetic nature of finance has never been higher. So when, when we talk about financial populism, I think that has to be understood in the backdrop of record inequality in the States and um, record amounts of malcontent toward, mm-hmm. toward the way that COVID policies were also done, where you, know, you had small businesses that were shut down, but Walmart was left open. You had small restaurants shut down, but bigger ones were allowed to open. You know, there are all these things that favor the bigger guys over the smaller guys, right? And yeah. it's, it's to the point now where people just, you know, the, the people who make the rules, they don't even see what's wrong with it anymore because they just say, well, that just makes sense. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and you see this really starkly in the in the structure of financial markets because just take a just take a financial market, right? Like a stock, you have a designated market maker. That market maker trades on di- on different rules than you do. They almost mm-hmm. pay no fees because they have high volumes. So they get volume discounts. They also uh, have ability to short sell in ways that you can't because they're the designated market maker. They also have um, a whole host of advantages, right? Uh, maybe they can access capital at a much cheaper price. Maybe they can uh, do long short trades on higher leverage. Whatever it is, this is kind of baked into the system, and the incumbents don't even see what's wrong with it, right? They take it for granted. Yeah. And for the smaller guys, it, it's 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 seen as a given that these guys will pay money. They will they will gamble. They will speculate, but they will lose m- money to the market makers. They will lose money to the um, 
the the professionals. And so, yeah. and so, but with that said, the the small guys are realizing that if they if they if they collectify or if they kind of um, can coordinate, then they can accomplish big things, or so they think, right? So you have GameStop, mm. and then in crypto you had Dogecoin, where Doge went extremely viral on TikTok uh, and other kind of non-traditionally crypto-related uh, mediums, where you know Dogecoin briefly went into the top five. Uh, which is kind of incredible to think about um, coming from where it is. Um, and, and so I think, I think that financial populism, you know, it made its start in, in traditional finance with, with the idea of these, with GameStop, but I do see its natural home, its sort of natural habitat uh, being back in crypto. Um, because in crypto, right, in contrast to traditional finance, if everyone gets together and buys a coin, there's no one that can come and say, you know what, you actually need to sell that coin because of some rule, or you can't buy more of that coin. You know, like we, what we saw with Robinhood, right, and uh, and with um, Game, GameStop, where they actually forced some customers to sell uh, because it was a margin account, and they even if the account had enough money in it, they could make up some reason why you had to sell it, and also they wouldn't let people buy anymore because they said it was risky to the system. But it's all a bit opaque, right? And there's all there's always some reason that they give. Um, but at the end of the day, like you know that you know the forces that be, they're looking for that profit, and they're looking to treat the customer as a revenue source, right? So I think my hope is that 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 energy will transfuse will will sort of um, uh, trans transmorph over into into crypto. A lot of the unhappiness with the current system kind of culminated with this, with the event when Robinhood disabled kind of the buying of the securities, or in some cases even unwound positions automatically. And this, they they claimed right that this was due to them having insufficient collateral at their clearinghouse, which is a valid, valid argument. But now everyone is is arguing that this kind of proved that. The market structure is inherently rigged against the small, small guys. So I, I feel like I, I already got a, a clue what you're what you're going to say. But do you think that, like very clearly, that is true? Like the the financial the traditional financial market is rigged against the small investor? I wouldn't say it's rigged per se. I think rigged is a is a tough word to prove. But I think that the the structure assumes certain things, right? It assumes for one that if you trade more volume, you should get lower fees. It assumes that if you are a bigger participant, that you can lobby for things that smaller participants can't. Uh, mm -hmm. You can have these hosts of benefits and, and a whole host of um, advantages. And when you can when you contrast that to DeFi, right? Where in DeFi, no matter how big you are, you're you're still participating on an even playing field. Um, you're still having to uh, pay the same fee. And having to uh, interact with the same smart contracts, I think that 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 stands in very stark contrast, right? Like the probably the most egregious example of where this is an assumption it would be in you know in in retail FX brokers or in retail options uh, trading, where massive amounts of flow get internalized because people assume that the flow is dumb, and they and they know that it often is, and then they're competing to pay for that to to acquire that flow. 
and the flow doesn't even hit the real market, right? It just gets gets put on the market makers' books where they yeah. they they hope to either net it out or move the market in a way that they can then scalp out at a profit. But all these things, right? But then you ask the question, well, why can't these clients trade with each other? Why you know why can't they match with each other? Why why is that sort of internalized or even needed? Um, and I think I think DeFi is asking that question now nicely, where where it's saying, you know, can can you create a system, an alternate system, where people are interacting with each other directly, uh, with each other's liquidity, and you don't have this need for a systematic internalizer sitting in the middle that's trading uh, like against every client and on on the opposite side of every trade. Um, I think that these these are the questions that I think um, deep. DeFi will ultimately be able to solve that. I think traditional finance, uh, because of the way that it's structured, uh, it assumes certain profit motives and it assumes certain things must hold. Right? The the uh, investment bank, for instance, is is known as the rightful broker dealer. Um, and you know, if you're not an investment bank it's very hard to become a broker dealer to face clients. There's regulatory red tape that make it so that, you know, those are the right firms to be doing so. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my firm three arrows, we used to trade a lot of foreign exchange emerging market NDFs. You know, we would have loved to make markets to other clients, but the structure of the market was such that you wouldn't even be allowed to, um, you know, for the longest time they would ban non-bank participants from the interbank dealer market because they thought that by allowing non-banks into that market that would be extremely damaging to the bank's profit margins and so as a result they they sort of create this cartel right where they say yeah. they that you know they 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 use regulation they use uh relationships with um with governments and, and things like this to to basically uh say here are the things that we make money from and here's everything else. And this is the pie. And within this pie, you can control us, but this is ours, right? Yeah. And and I think that this structure is inefficient and it's also, uh, it's rent-seeking. There's no real value being added, in my opinion. Um, and you kind of seen the breakdown of that in some markets, right? Where, you know, like for a long time, interbank uh, FX rates are very cheap, but the rate you get when you go and convert, is very expensive. Um, if you go to a teller or if you go to some some place, and that's come down a lot with with Revolut and things like that, and then you yeah. you you kind of see similar type things happening now, where uh, in the U.S. fixed income markets, non-bank market makers are now 80% of the volume because these are lean, you know leaner firms and they don't need to make as much money because they're smaller that they don't have as much overhead. And mm-hmm. these are incidentally some of the firms that participate in crypto the, the most as well, because they kind of like the fact that it's a level playing field. They don't need to have special benefits in order to uh, to do well in that system. Yeah. So Robinhood, it internalizes the orders uh, of their customers. We discussed this. And actually, when, when you just said that market makers might move stocks to scalp their customers, that reminded me a lot of um, when I read reminiscences of a stock operator a couple of months ago. Um, with all these um, uh, prop shops back in the day where where people would be encouraged to trade very high leverage so they would get immediately liquidated um, like on a few ticks up or down. Mm. Of course, the prop shops, would they would know all the liquidation points of their customers and they would just call basically their oracle 
which is kind of a big exchange or a big um, broker in, in some larger city. And they would tell them to please move the stock there or there, right? And then get their local customers liquidated. So do you think it sounded like that's still going on today? Yeah, I mean, you kind of saw that with Steve Cohen's tweets, right? Where he was like kind of goading on the longs and saying, you know, like, let's see how this fight goes or like, like treating's a tough game. You know, like he was kind of, I think he, for a moment there, he kind of slipped up and sort, and sort of said the things out loud that, that shouldn't be said. It, 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 you know, for for a man in his position, and I think since then he's deleted all his tweets and and and, and so on. But um, look, I mean, it's a it's a zero sum game in many respects, right? So yeah, so that needs to always be remembered. I think no matter how much you know, you know, lipstick on the pig you want to put on it, it's still a zero sum game. So so that that kind of tells you what you need to know. I think about what these firms may do or are willing to do. But I think that the problem isn't in and of itself the fact that it's zero sum. The the problem in traditional finance is that the rules itself of the game are not known well and are not written in a way that is good for individuals, right? Um, there's, they're, they're not written in a way that uh, you as an individual on the internet can understand them, can, can reason about them, can... Uh, use them to find good opportunities. You know, like I worked at a ETF options, um, an ETF market maker called Flow Traders, which is one of the top ETF market makers, um, mm -hmm. along with Jane Street and some of these other firms. And, you know, like there's so many esoteric games that you can play with stock borrow lending, with the way you do a creation redemption, the way you do... Um, all these types of things that are incredibly esoteric, probably fewer than 100 people in the world know how to do them. And yet these products that are being traded, these are the most commonly traded products in the world. These are ETFs, right? The, the, these are stocks. And so that kind of massive inequality of knowledge and massive inequality of um, access, I think is something that uh, crypto fundamentally solves, right? Where we've seen in DeFi where you know, individuals in their teens, you know, in their parents' houses can make tens of millions of dollars, right? Can can really yeah. understand what's going on, can reason about it, can participate in the governance of it, can participate in the building up of it. Um, and so I think that that's a massive contrast that I think for me, having seen both sides of traditional finance and DeFi has actually kind of made me more reinvigorated on the idea that crypto is the true home of financial populism. And where I see that all the populism in the stock markets fundamentally is going to lead to tears, um, more mm, likely than not. Yeah. And that is because people who engage in financial populism in traditional markets right now, they will realize that the rules of the game are too opaque. Too, too opaque. This is not the battleground that they should choose to, yes. to make a stand because they can't win. And it probably will take a few... like for GameStock and a few of these others to unwind completely. Um, yeah. Let's actually talk about how, how this is going to look. How is the, the GameStop and uh, the Wall Street Bets um, saga and traditional finance going to end for them? I think it's a game of attrition, right? So there's these things you can do where you can, you have a seven-day window uh, to cover naked shorts. You can basically hope that the flow 
that basically the longs can't keep up the battle, right? That that they get bored mm -hmm. as the price goes down, people get bored, they sell, they move on to something else. Um, there's going to be a lot of like counterintelligence where they try to get these communities to be weaker. But in general, like people, yes, some people are in GME for the, you know, for the protest, but a lot of them are also in for the pump, right? So if they hold it for a day, mm -hmm. it's not going anywhere. It goes down 20%. They're just going to dump it and move on, right? And, you know, at this price, you do, like, some of the guys are in it from $5, $10. You know, it, it's very crypto-like in that sense. So you have er early adopters of the GameStop thesis. Um, you know, if they want to actually get out and crystallize their, you know, 40X, they have to sell, right? And so they're going to also be dumping on the so-called protest buy. So, you know, you, you, you have this situation where the shorts, yes, they are short a lot of the company, but if they play their cards right, they can keep rolling it for some time. And if the momentum dies off, then it's very difficult actually to ultimately win in that. And you kind of need the management of the company to be really on the side of the of the mm. of the small shareholders like think about this right like let's say you and i start a company we list it mm -hmm. and then people try mm -hmm. to squeeze our company to the moon right yeah yeah what would we do right you and i might say well, why don't we issue more shares what well, well, yeah why don't we do an initial share offering oh why don't we just even give ourselves stock options then we exercise them now we have stocks now we mm -hmm. dump our stocks mm -hmm. right so you you know that's the that's the problem of using stocks as a store of value or using stocks as crypto is that it's actually the 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 uh, direction of the company is not up to the holders of its stock. It's up to the management yeah. that, that is in power, right? How long does it take to issue a new stock or be, write a new stock? It can, uh, it can be done. Option. It can be done in a day, right? I mean, it can be done. Oh, really? It can be done very fast. Oh. So like there's all sorts of game theory that, you know, like if you're Citadel, you can maybe talk to the management, get them to agree that, you know, get, give them a split of the profits. You can do all these games, right? And, and mm -hmm. I would not... I would not think that it's a game that Citadel would want to lose either. Put it that way. Yeah. So I think there, there's a good tweet threads today. Someone posted where he said that like Citadel is already up money net from GameStop, just from all the volume yeah. from the back and forth. Yeah. They, they've already made so much from the flow that they're net up. Okay. That, that's yeah. pretty shocking yeah. if you think about it, but they're already net up. 0.72 is definitely down a lot. Uh, because they simply invested in Melvin before the squeeze. So they kind of caught the whole loss on the way up. And, you know, they're also not the market maker on it. So they, but, but it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, these guys will protect their own because they'll say, look, this is my turf. My game is long short equities and I can't just, you know, be squeezed like this willy nilly. So they're going to make a stand here. They're, they're kind of not going to take it laying down. So I think that, 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 that whole reality is something that is going to start to set in for for the idea of financial populism mm -hmm. in in stocks. And also, if you if, if you look at the standard of discourse now on Wall Street bets and talking about this, it's not it's not that high. Uh, if yeah. you if you look at you know like, like the guys buying at five dollars who started the squeeze, they're obviously very smart. But a lot of them have have, mm. have now exited too, right? There's a Korean fund that announced that you know they may made a billion dollars on on GameStop, right? It, this is not this is not an individual. These are not people, right? This is a this is like a, another financial company betting against uh, something else. And then like AMC as well. I saw like Silver Lake announced that they sold all they sold all their AMC, right? Like there's convertible notes, people who are long like, you know, 
uh, hybrid uh, fixed income notes where they get to have stocks. If the stock price goes high enough, they go in the money and then they exercise, meaning that they start getting shares. You know, shares start coming out of nowhere and start being able to be dumped on people. So, you know, there's all these ways that shares can be created. There's all these ways that shares um, already exist from people that are incentivized to sell. So it's mm. not at all like crypto where, you know, if you if you buy Doge, the beauty of Doge is that it's pure meme, right? It's a tokenized meme. Like there's mm. nobody there's nobody sitting around with like Doge options where if the Doge price goes high enough, suddenly they have a lot more Doge. That person doesn't exist, right? Probably a lot of people have like huge amounts of Doge lying around that they just don't care about because it's not worth very much. And, you know, but when it pumps, then a lot of the supply will maybe activate i don't know yeah but it's still the fundamentally it's different because no one is expecting it to be something other than a meme or other than yeah. a a kind of like a viral crypto uh concept so i think yeah. the whole cryptoization of stocks idea that's kind of where it ultimately breaks down because stocks are still actually stocks they're they're still percentage ownership of a company and those have rights mm -hmm. and some people have more rights than you do, right? They may have management mm -hmm. rights. They may have preference. They may have a higher class of shares than you. So there's all these kind of, it's actually more like you're buying a share of a DAO and, and you don't have decidability on this DAO either. So, you know, yeah. you don't actually own as much as you think you do and you don't control the narrative as much as you think you do. So you said that um, the most likely way that Jimmy is going to unwind is, from the narrative dying, dying down. So do you think that actually this, 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 this squeezes in silver and, um, and Doge, that they are kind of manufactured narratives in order to distract people from, from GME and some of the earlier um, stock squeezes kind of spread the capital over more bets? It's tough to answer that question, but I will say that the whole financial system does not want the Wall Street bets people to win on GameStop, right? Because mm. a lot of these funds who are short GameStop, they're also long everyone's favorite companies. They're long Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, right? So, you know, yesterday, uh, Monday, the, the stock market went up a lot as GameStop fell because people got, you know, they got calmer about systemic risk as GameStop fell. You know, GameStop went to $10,000. There's a lot of holes in everyone's balance sheet, right? Because... Mm -hmm. Now, like everyone has to pay these GameStop longs out for huge amounts of money, right? And and so that that like you're kind of trying to break. It's, it's almost like counting cars against the casinos. The, the way I would say it is like, yeah, you can be the best card counter in the world, but you're still playing in a casino. You still need mm -hmm. them to pay you out, right? There's some worlds yeah. where that wouldn't even get paid out. Like you know, the U.S. maybe is like probably not a thuggish country, but if you did the same trade in like Argentina or you did the same trade in Brazil or in like some parts of Asia, like no one's going to pay you out. Right. They're, they're, they're just going to mm -hmm. say, it's a cool story that you did here. You have nothing now. I've, I've zeroed out your account. You have nothing, you know, and, yeah. and you were doing market manipulation and they'll throw you in jail as well. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. so I think the U S probably not that stuff can't happen in the same way, but the idea that the whole financial system will kind of, you know, allow this to uh, get paid out in a huge way, that is a very tough battle. It's, it's actually tougher than the battle of hyper-monetizing Bitcoin even, in my opinion. Um, that's something that I didn't really realize until now is how, how you can lay over what happens on crypto Twitter on Wall Street bets over traditional finance media as well. Like 
like everyone is shilling their favorite coin on crypto Twitter in like very blatant ways, right? It's it's like it, it serves the the only goal is kind of to manipulate the market or kind of yeah. coordinate people on betting on the same thing, right? Yes. And then squeezing everyone else who's not in it and and triggering the FOMO. But that is exactly what all those uh, large fund managers do um, by going on CNBC, right? It's the same like thing. Once you, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. That they are just the Twitter talking heads who manipulate the market in extremely obvious ways. Certainly. Yeah. So let's, okay. So, so we established that traditional finance is not the right battleground um, for po financial populism to win, right? They can fight a few battles there, but hopefully only in order to realize that this is not, this is not the right battlefield, right? So let's talk about crypto. And something uh, that I thought was super inter interesting that you said earlier is that um, the smaller guys are realizing that they have to coordinate with each other, right? They have to they have to form a collective, and that's how they can get some of the benefits that the big guys get, right? Um, and um, I, the way I think about crypto and always have is that crypto is also is in itself a coordination mechanism, right? So you it would be impossible for people to monetize a new form of money like from the bottom up for example like bitcoin because how do we agree on on what money to use for that right there are so many so many options and the problem is also like the way that kind of that i see that bitcoin solves this is it gives people an incentive a financial incentive to bet on the right thing right because they can get in early and the earlier they get in the more they they can win right so it's actually like a famous story that kind of why die it's, it's a famous cryptographer yeah. the inventor of e-money and he wrote to such like he he didn't satoshi wrote him an email telling him about bitcoin and and uh why didn't take it seriously and didn't respond and then years later he came up with like big regrets and he said okay bitcoin is like a blown opportunity and if i could turn back time i would do it and i would tell satoshi to make bitcoin a stable coin right because the fact that bitcoin um is fixed supply makes it like completely unworkable and pointless. But I like, in my view, like the fact that Bitcoin is fixed supply and floating against everything else, that's what makes it the big innovation because that's what creates this coordination mechanism where people are actually incentivized to all buy the same thing. And that's what allows it to monetize in bottom up way. And yeah, the same, in my opinion, applies to DeFi. So um, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, right? I mean, the the coordination effects in Bitcoin are, are so powerful that if every Bitcoin holder in the world says they will be BTC denominated, they'll put all their fiat gains back into BTC, then even with no new people coming in, the price will almost certainly go up because at any given point, the dollar value of the fiat earnings of existing BTC holders is far higher than mining supply, than, than mining emissions, right? So as long as they buy up enough, that they have enough fiat earnings relative to the fiat costs of the system, the price will keep going higher and higher. So that kind of short squeeze on the world effect makes people say, okay, well, do I also join this game? And do I also, by joining it, also become wealthy with these people, right? And and so yeah. th that's why, like, that's why you're absolutely right. Like, if you didn't have that mechanism where uh, by getting in early, you you benefit from evangelizing it and from uh, being a part of it, then you would never have that adoption, right? 
So mm-hmm. I think with DeFi, with governance tokens, with with farming, early farming participation, you know, people also fundamentally respect uh, the work that has been done by people, right? People, mm-hmm. you know, when people first learn about crypto, they don't quite understand, like, why do you need proof of work? That seems wasteful. Or why do you need to give the early adopters of a DeFi coin, like, a lot of the supply? Well, it's because how else do you give it in a way that anyone can compete for it pseudonymously, anonymously? How do you give it away in a, in a way such that like the whole world will think of it after it's done as the fairest possible way, right? So if you give it all to yourself, if you give it all to yourself, then people will say, well, that's that that may still be okay, but how are you then going to give it away? And how fast will you give it away, right? So that would be kind of the foundation model. But if you were to start from scratch and say, you know, you try to give away as much as possible to the users uh, or to the people that invest real work into it, then suddenly you have this element of of people saying, okay, so this is something that is actually fair. It's not like traditional finance. It's not like something where you and I would have no control over how many dollars get printed or how many, yeah. you know, who yeah. who gets printed, you know, where do these dollars go? You know, where where does fiscal stimulus go? You know, you could ask the basic question, why is stimulus given to people as a thousand dollars? $2,000, why is it cash? You know, why is it not a credit uh, to your medical bill or, or to some other bill? You know, what, there are all these ways you could do it, but but fundamentally you have no control over how that's done. And so I think in crypto you and in DeFi, you have very much uh, that user governance direct link where the users are the same people as the owners. So that user-owner combination i think is uniquely enabled by crypto and i think this is actually the the even more so than a technological paradigm or a monetary paradigm it's a societal paradigm right where you really mm-hmm. haven't been able to have user owner before this I, w- I would broadly classify kind of our current societal structure as market capitalism yeah do you think that what DeFi ushers in is or like crypto in general ushers in this era of decentralized networks with fair fair and observable and unchangeable rules. Do you think that ushers in a, a new general societal paradigm that is like distinct from market capitalism or like, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's distinct in a few ways. I think it's, it's distinct in a way that I almost see it as the answer to the question of what are these big tech companies doing if they can never really earn a profit? but they have all this mind share and they have all this network effects, right? Because you could broadly say the 2010s are about big tech, right? As much as crypto grew and was born in the, in the 2010s, it was really a decade of big tech, right? Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, these type of firms. And I think that the 2020s will be about crypto because crypto has some of the answers to the questions of, what do you do if something is very useful, but the company can't make much money out of it if it was run as a company, um, right? Like Linux, open source, um, this kind of spirit of of something that is very useful, but who contributes to it, who keeps it going, how do users claim the value from it, right? I mean, you think about Wikipedia, Linux, some of the early power users, all that. 
they did that of their own volition, right? They they did that out of passion, right? Yeah. And you know, saints and martyrs that they are, we now have a way to incentivize participation in these open source endeavors and more importantly make them powerful enough that they can serve they can not only uh surpass what uh traditional finance can offer in terms of utility but they can far exceed Mm -hmm. it because of the way that they're governed their costs can be lower you can participate as a market maker from day one you can you can be on both sides of the trade you can kind of be like you can basically rewrite the rules of how peer-to-peer finance works, how peer-to-community finance works. So mm-hmm. I think that that's that, that whole blank slate. I wouldn't call it a contrast to market capitalism necessarily, because capitalism itself is very hard to define, really. But I think it's a big contrast to the idea of dealer to client or company to user. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of uh, divide. I think that that divide um, ultimately will not be the way that the internet structure of finance um, or of companies in general that are internet native, I don't think that will be their structure. I agree. I agree. I think in, it, in, it, in, it, in the 2010s, we saw the impo- incredible power of networks unleashed, right? That networks eat everything right and if you only bet on that thesis then you would be you would have done incredibly well right but crypto it combines this with i think two important um innovations and the first is that you have kind of the the unchangeable rules right um like you can make networks that are like um, truly neutral right that someone can amass a lot of power in these networks and still not be able to change the rules. And that's part like due to the innovation of like, like kind of the, the, the decentralized consensus process of these things, right. That, that they rely on Ethereum, Bitcoin. And the second is like digital value, right. And the way that we can use this to create incentives for people. And, um, I think we see, we see this with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is itself and like an enormous economic innovation in, in kind of creating this coordination mechanism. Um, but we see this, like the innovation of Bitcoin taken to something like DeFi, where also people can like completely, they can make up a coin that has no value today. But the promise of that coin is that it will be valuable when the network, like for example, a two-sided market for whatever, lending and borrowing becomes useful, then that thing will be useful. So it is in itself a form of, of equity, right? Same as Bitcoin is, is a form of equity in, in kind of the Bitcoin network. And um, and that's what allows these things to to bootstrap themselves in in a way that we have never seen before for before crypto, right? And um, I think we are at kind of the 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 verge of it's almost like like the early days of the internet in that sense. It's it's a completely new paradigm and we have these two innovations like credible neutrality and kind of permissionless financial incentives. And I think in combination with the network paradigm of the 2010s, I think um, it's very hard to imagine what kind of, like how it will disrupt the world as we know it. Yeah. And I I think it's not a coincidence too, that sort of coinciding with the Robinhood stuff, you've seen a wave of non-crypto venture 
and non-crypto fintech investors really will start to wake up to DeFi. I mean, part of it is guys like Naval talking for you know extended periods of time on Clubhouse and introducing investors to this kind of idea. But I think it's also that people are, you know, the 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 traditional finance fintech system is they're, they're kind of running up against the limits, right? They're the kind of the the users users are sort of breaking through the simulation where they're saying, hey, we we realize that this is not actually free, that we are actually, you know, the product and we are actually um, harvested uh, for gains. And and so they're imagining a better system. They're also imagining uh, themselves as the owners, uh, small as they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that that energy has nowhere to go except for crypto. And I think investors now, when they look at the fintech space, you know, starting from the seed perspective, it suddenly now looks far appealing to seed a DeFi project than it does to seed a fintech project. Because fintech, not only are you now competing with the banks but and competing with the incumbents, but now you're also competing with crypto to offer the same thing. And you're also competing to figure out what your revenue model may be and what your, you know, market fit may be. And so that 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 whole pressure, I think People have always known that traditional finance is very inefficient, that there's ways to disrupt it, but everything seems always like 2x better or 3x better or 5x better, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. it's still operating on the same rails. So instead of, you know, Citadel market making on on BATS, it's market making direct to client via the broker. It's doing these very, like, at the end of the day, it's still the same three firms at the end of it. It's still the same market structure. Um, and, and I think now market structure is getting seriously questioned by the users and therefore also by the investors in these kind of trends. And that that energy will only continue as long as people um, continue to question, um, you know, what, what should be the role of the individual in financial markets? Is it to be the profit, the, the revenue of a large professional firm, or is it something else, right? Is it something different altogether? Yeah. That that question is is in my opinion the real question. Is an internet user, you know, talking about Web three thesis of crypto, is an internet user fundamentally someone who's using free to, you know, free to play products, um, but who is uh, essentially harvested in a sort of rather insidious way via his attention as well as via his uh, identity and via, you know. His overall, yeah, his overall being, his overall content, right? Is that the structure yeah. of the internet that people ultimately want, or is that yeah, yeah. because that's not it's, that's not written in stone, right? I mean, this is mm -hmm. this is how it's been so far, but it doesn't, it may not be how it is in the future. You know, there's, you know, with the WhatsApp, uh, I think that there's so much social confidence now around crypto, where you have now with the WhatsApp um, privacy stuff, where you have, you know, tons of users going to Signal, going to Telegram, and mm -hmm. saying, you know, I now question. Uh, how I use the internet. I don't just use the dumbest, the easiest thing. I question how I might want to use it in the future. And yeah, and, the, and people also underestimate too that we now have a very internet-native, sophisticated generation, right? Below the millennials, the 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 you know the Zoomers, and and these people already question how societies run just by their very nature, and they will be very interested in creating it in their own, you know in their own image so yeah. so just as sort of you know working in banking became very popular up until 2007 then you had the great financial crash and then after that silicon valley and you know tech comp big tech became very popular you now see a big migration out of big tech from talent right it's now seen as like you know if you work at google for two years three years like 
the longer you stay, there's almost a stigma that's coming again where they're saying like, why aren't you, you know, in crypto or why aren't you doing something that you really care about? And, and I kind of see crypto as that outlet for this mass generation of talent who's interested in both finance and technology. Yeah, agree. It's almost like I've talked to a couple of people over the years and got the impression that especially working at something like Google, where you spend like months getting people to click 0.1% more on one button, like to harvest their attention even better. I think that has risen very, very rapidly to one of the most soul-sucking jobs in the entire world. And people don't stay very long. And I think, I think it's, most people still underestimate the ability and willingness for young people to rewrite the world, as you say, in their image. And um, I agree very strongly that all roads lead to crypto. Absolutely.